We now turn to Isaiah chapter 52, going through to chapter 53, verse 12. The suffering and glory of the servant. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. Just lead us in prayer again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage in Isaiah, we pray that you would help us to help us to understand it, help us to take in the meaning, move our hearts by what we see, 
and change our lives, we pray. Amen. Well, there are events, aren't there? And then there's their meanings. Sometimes it's not enough just to know what happened. We need to know the meaning of it. So you could, for instance, well, you could think of many examples from history, but you could think when the troops, when Russian troops entered Ukraine, you don't just need to see images of what's going on there. You need to understand what's happening. And you could think about, um, like I say, this in terms of other world events. You could see pictures, say, of someone destroying a wall and you wouldn't understand what it is, but unless you knew it was the Berlin Wall and you knew the history of it. Or, for instance, Nelson Mandela being released from prison. You could see a, a person being released from prison. You can think, so what? But actually, it's hugely significant, isn't it? And if you're with someone who doesn't know what it means, you want to say to them, let me tell you, this is really, really significant. So too with the cross of Jesus. We've read, haven't we, in Mark's Gospel, what happened. And the meaning is in there as well. But it's helpful to look back to the passage in Isaiah that Hesse just read for us. Because there is summarised really succinctly what the meaning of the cross is. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got it open, it would be great to have it at uh, Isaiah 53. And, oh, we're not quite there at that point, but we we almost are. Um, We're looking at this servant song that Hesse read for us. Now, that servant song is the fourth servant song, the last of the servant songs in the book of Isaiah. It's the longest one. And uh, it, it talks about the suffering of the servant And the heart of the passage is verses 4 to 6. So we're going to home in on that because that is where the cross is so clearly explained. And we're just going to work our way through those those few verses. So starting in verse 4, and we're going to see four things from those verses. The first is up on the screen. The cross was Jesus's action. Now I want you to see that in verse 4. Have a look. It says, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Now notice there, who is doing the action here? It's the servant, isn't it? He, the servant. And what did he do? He took up our pain. Took up. Has the meaning of lifting a burden from someone. Don't know if you've been to the kind of hotel ever where you go in you've got your bags with you you've dragged them in from the car or from the train or wherever and someone comes and takes your bags from you it can be an unnerving thing if you don't know who they are but it's a great thing they come and they will take your bags and you suddenly feel you're in luxury Um, but he's willingly taking it up this is what Jesus does for us he comes and he takes up our burden our pain he bore our suffering it says Again, bore there is carried or shouldered, accepting the burden as his own. So, first thing to see there is who is doing the action here? It is the servant. And we know in the New Testament often refers back to this to explain the cross that this servant is Jesus. And therefore, first thing to see is it is Jesus' action. Now, let that sink in because as you read the account in Mark's Gospel, you could easily think he... He wasn't very involved. It wasn't a decision of his. Because a lot happens to him, doesn't it? 
He is the one who is tried. He's mocked, he's beaten, he's nailed to a cross, he's left to die. It seems everything is imposed on him. And he has little say in the matter. Yet this tells us he took up our pain. He bore our suffering. It was his decision. It was his action to take it upon himself. And therefore, we shouldn't pity Jesus this afternoon. Not pity him as a helpless victim. He was not. He took this upon himself. So it was his action. Second, on the screen, on the cross, Jesus was punished for us. Now, you see in uh, verse 4, second half of verse 4, he says, what we thought, <laughs> what we thought was happening. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. That is to say, uh, I mean, after all, we do know, and it says later on in the passage, he was punished by God. So that bit wasn't wrong. But presumably the misunderstanding here is to think he was punished by God for something he'd done wrong. Presumably that would be the thinking. Uh, we considered him punished by God for his own wrongdoing. After all, so that's, I mean, sometimes people think that about others or themselves, even today, don't they? They will think, I must have upset someone for this to happen to me. And maybe that is what is going on there, that people would look at this suffering servant at Jesus and think, what did he do that this should happen to him? And you can see that that's sort of what's behind that thinking by what follows on in verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. Now, what you've got in view here is substitution, isn't it? That is what is very clearly in view, that he was there for others. So you've got this repetition in verse 5, the first half of verse 5, of he for us, he for us. So, verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Sorry, he for our. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. It wasn't for his wrongdoing, because we know he didn't have any wrongdoing on him. Uh, it says in verse 9, if you just cast your eyes down, second half, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He had done nothing wrong. It wasn't for his wrongdoing. It was for our wrongdoing that he was punished. And the swap is him taking our transgressions, our wrongdoing, the punishment we deserve. We often say that, don't we, that Jesus on the cross took the punishment we deserve. I must have said it hundreds of times, thousands of times here. Where do we see that in the Bible? We don't just see it here, but we very clearly do see it here in these verses. He was crushed for our iniquities. That's what was going on at the cross. Now, this is called penal substitution, suffering to take the penalty for, that we deserve. Now, some don't like that teaching, even though it's clearly there. Some don't like it, because that is to say when Jesus died on the cross, the Father was angry with him, punishing him. And so some will say, well, when Jesus died, maybe it wasn't in our place. Maybe he wasn't suffering in our place to take a punishment for us. Maybe this was just Jesus coming along to suffer 
alongside us, in sympathy with us, for, for all the suffering there is in the world that he suffers as one of us and therefore can sympathise. Well, there, may be so, there is some truth in that, that he can sympathise with us, and it's wonderful that he can, but that is not the meaning of the cross. I saw, uh, which is good, because it doesn't ultimately help us, does it? If that's all it is. I saw a ridiculous picture the other day of, uh, well, a dog who'd obviously had to have an operation, therefore had the cone, you know, a cone round its head. Uh, and uh, it was lying on the sofa, and next to it was the owner sat on the sofa, also wearing a cone round his head, in sympathy with the dog, so that the dog might somehow feel better about this. Is that what Jesus does for us, sort of comes and suffers with us so that we feel okay about it? You see, the thing is, that owner wearing that cone doesn't actually do anything to help the dog, does it? I mean, it might, you know, make the dog feel, oh, my owner is also wearing one of these silly things. But it doesn't actually help the dog. And I'm pretty sure the owner didn't go so far as to have the operation as well. And even if he had, it wouldn't have helped. No, Jesus doesn't just suffer with us, alongside us. He suffers for us, taking our iniquity onto himself. And of course, that is far more profound and moves us far more than if Jesus just came to suffer alongside us. We ask on Christianity Explored, the course that we run, uh, that goes through the basics of Christianity. One of the questions that we ask when we've thought about the cross is... How would you feel if someone took the punishment for something you did wrong? Now, I know that's the point of the cross, but just think about that in life, day-to-day -day life. Let's say someone took the punishment for you for something you have done wrong. How would you feel towards that person? And generally, on the course, when we ask that question, people say, well, I'd feel guilty. I'd feel bad. I'd feel ashamed that they did that. And we might follow that up by saying, well, okay, what if the person did it willingly? I mean, you know, presumably they weren't forced to do it. What if they said, no, I want to do this for you? You say, well, I'd still feel pretty bad. But what if the punishment was a punishment that was so great that you wouldn't be able to bear it? And they said, I'll take that for you because I can take it for you. Now, at that point, I think your heart goes out to that person, doesn't it? You say, it's one of love. So too with Jesus. That he would be crushed for our iniquities. So our hearts go out to him in love and gratitude. Third. The cross is the only way to peace with God. Second half of verse 5. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. So here is the result of Jesus' substitution of him taking our place. Since he died for transgressions, that means we now have peace with God. By which, uh, yeah, it's not just an inner peace, but it is peace with God in relationship with him. And do you see, it's an interesting connection, isn't it? The contrast between what Jesus goes through and what that achieves. 
his punishment, the violence committed against him, beatings, nailed to the cross, left to die, brings us peace. By his wounds, which Alec Matir in his book on Isaiah says, earlier in Isaiah, it, it has a meaning of untreated lacerations. His untreated lacerations, his beatings, his cuts, bring us healing. And we need to see that here alone is our only, only way to healing and peace. They're the only effective methods to be made right with God. Let me just give you quickly two mistakes that we might make. I was watching an Anglican church leader who was explaining some heresies that are prevalent in the church. He was actually particularly talking about North America and Africa. But, um, and he said there's a particular heresy which he called salvation by death. Have you heard of this one? I hadn't heard of it either. Um, but actually, as he explained it, I thought, oh, actually, that is very common. And it wouldn't surprise me if there are people at Emmanuel who thought this way. What's salvation by death? It is simply that by dying, we are saved. In other words, everyone's saved. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you believe, you're saved. And he said, as he described this, in lots of so-called Christian funerals, that is the message that is given across. That it doesn't matter who the person was. It doesn't matter what they believe. They go to heaven. But that's a lie. You see, the assumption behind that could well be everyone's at peace with God. Everyone's all right with God, aren't they? But that makes a mockery of the cross, doesn't it? It says, God, you didn't need to send Jesus. Jesus, you didn't need to die. But the passage says, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. Mankind is not at peace with God. We need Jesus' beatings, punishment and death to be at peace. So that's the first mistake we might make. The second mistake is to think that the cross is not really fully effective. A bit like the coronavirus vaccines. They're fantastic, they're wonderful, great discoveries uh, and amazing. But of course, they don't completely get rid of COVID. If only they did, it would be wonderful if they did. And maybe that's a bit like the cross. It kind of does a good job, but lessens the effects of our sin. Makes it slightly less bad for us. Yeah, we don't get God's full anger. But don't we tend to think, well, yeah, but we still disappoint God. And we're still a disappointment, aren't we? Surely our sin, particularly if they're really bad ones, we think, well, they must really still be on me, mustn't they? Maybe I won't get the full wrath of God because Jesus died for me. But he's got to be disappointed. But that would be to say we're not really healed. We're not really at peace with God. But we are. Through Jesus. It is fully effective. It is the only effective way to be at peace with God. He doesn't save us a bit. And he doesn't save us mostly. He takes the punishment for us. And therefore, we are healed. 
We are at peace with God. Which is why I want you today to go out of this service smiling. And I want people to go past, hopefully, looking at you going, yeah, but they came out of a Good Friday service. They should be in despair. No, we are at peace with God. That's why Jesus came. Again, I read just a little earlier. Jesus didn't come to die for us to make us feel guilty for our sin. He came to deal with our sin to bring us peace. Lastly, at the cross, the Father laid our sin on Jesus. Verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. If you happen to know the Colin Buchanan song, it's very hard to read this without adding in extra little bits. They're good extra little bits, but I won't do them. Ask later. Um, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So obviously we all go astray, we all go uh, wrong, we all uh, disobey God, uh, we all need to be made right with God. But interestingly, who is the one doing the action in this verse of sorting us out? It is the Father, isn't it? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you start at the beginning of the passage with the servant bearing our our suffering, taking it upon himself. And here at the end, it is the Father who lays our sin on Jesus. And therefore, notice how inactive we are. We don't do anything in this, really, other than wander and like lost sheep. We can't even put our own sin on Jesus. It's not in our power. We need the Father to do that for us. Jesus was bearing it, and the Father laid our sin on him. So here's the meaning of the cross. The cross was Jesus' action. On the cross, Jesus was punished for us. The cross is the only way to peace with God, and the Father lays our sin on Jesus. That is the meaning. How are we going to respond? Well, we need to ask him to take our wrongdoing, don't we? Ask the Father to take our sin and place it on Jesus. If you've never done that, Today would be a great day to do it. Why not do it today? And if you have already done it, we are to rejoice today, to go out smiling, to revel in the peace we have with God. It is the greatest need we all have. And if we have it, we can rest. We can rest and rejoice. Why? Well, everyone has needs, don't they? Those who aren't Christians have needs as well. Uh, Needs for a whole host of things, for love, for friendship, for more money, for uh, a whole load of needs, for fulfillment. And people strive to meet those needs. It is the, the task of a lifetime to try to meet those needs. There's a real striving around us. And yet we know there is a far greater need, our real need, to be made right with God. And we've had that need met through Jesus. 
And therefore, we may start this service mourning for our sin, but we end it rejoicing. And we need to let the peace that that brings sink into our lives, to every part of our lives, that we are at peace with God. It is a wonderful thing. I'm just going to finish by quoting from uh, When Peace Like a River, that song we sing it, we've sung it several times. Uh, the chorus goes, it is well with my soul. That's the peace, isn't it? I, I said at one point, it's not an inner peace, just an inner calm. But it is that as well, isn't it? But it comes from the fact that we have peace with God. So the verse says this. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul.